This is A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends, a podcast ministry of Somebody Cares America, being a tangible expression of Christ in a hurting world. Welcome to another Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends. Our prayer today is that the profound message Doug delivers speaks directly to your situation. You can send us feedback, suggestions on topics, or even your prayer request today, email somebodycares at somebodycares.org. And make sure to keep up with us on social media. You can search at Somebody Cares America and find us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's lean in and listen as Doug shares today. I've been thinking a lot about a song we used to sing quite a bit back in the 1980s called Blow a Trumpet in Zion. It comes from Joel chapter 2, and as I was rereading that chapter recently, I kept thinking about that song. In fact, I remember back in the 80s, I met Big John Hall through the late Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole, and that big, deep voice, he would sing with the most powerful expression of that song. I still remember in 1984, I believe it was April 1984, we were in Hoffine's Pavilion at the University of Houston for the first large national Christian men's event of its time. And I remember Big John Hall standing up and singing that song that is taken from Joel chapter 2. And as he began to sing, the place erupted with over 8,000 men. They began to take their handkerchiefs out. They began to wave their hands. It was the most incredible sight to see men being men, worshiping God and waving their handkerchiefs and waving their hands as they sang the song. Let me read some of those lyrics to you from the song, Blow a Trumpet in Zion. Now, hopefully I don't get into singing it because it's still in my head. The the lyrics, the sound, the music, it's a very powerful song. Great is the army that carries out his word. The Lord utters his voice before his army. The Lord utters his voice before his army. They rush on the city. They run on the wall. Great is the army that carries out his word. They rush on the city. They run on the wall. Great is the army that carries out his word. The Lord utters his voice before his army. The Lord utters his voice before his army. Blow the trumpet in Zion, Zion. Sound the alarm in my holy mountain. Blow the trumpet in Zion, Zion. Sound the alarm. There I go. But I was thinking about that song and how powerful it really is. Blow the trumpet in Zion, Zion. Sound the alarm in my holy mountain. Blow the trumpet in Zion, Zion. And as you read those lyrics, or as you actually read Joel chapter 2, it speaks of his own army. In fact, Joel 2.11 says, The Lord gives voice before his army. Note he says his army. For his camp is very great. For strong is the one, that's the Lord who executes his word, for the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, who can endure it? In fact, uh, the New International Version says, the Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number, and mighty is the army that obeys his command. The day of the Lord is great, it is dreadful, who can endure it? See, we often sing that song in a very celebratory manner, yet its true context in Joel chapter 2 is how the Lord uses even our circumstances, external tensions, locusts, and the army of the enemy as His instrument to bring His own people back to focus and to Himself. Now, don't get me wrong. I still want to be celebratory when I sing songs like that because it's God's Word. But if we look at the context, the army that 
Joel chapter 2 is talking about is not God's own army, but he uses the army of either the Chaldeans, the Assyrians, Assyrians, locusts, pestilence. He uses circumstances as an opportunity to get his own people back to focus on himself. So what the Lord here calls his army is really the executors of his word. Those situations or circumstances or even people who would actually be the very conduits God can use to refocus his own people to get back to him. Let's take a look again at Joel chapter 2. Blow the trumpet in Zion, that's verse 1, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. I want us to really stop for a moment and realize the whole chapter here is about the day of the Lord, and that he says that day is at hand. If we look in the context of then, and fast forward to where we are even in 2021, I really believe that the day of the Lord is far closer than ever before, and we really need to look at the circumstances that have impacted us individually, in our families, in our churches, in our nation, and around the globe, and the tensions we're experiencing may not be pleasurable, especially when we've seen such pain and anxiety and stress, uncertainties all around us. And yet the Lord has always provided a scarlet thread of hope and redemption for His people. Now, again, let's look at the context of Joel chapter 2, verse 11. It says, The Lord gives voice before His army, for His camp is very great, for strong is the one who executes His word. Or in some translations, it goes to say, for strong are the executors of His word. So in other words, the instruments that God uses are executing His word, His will, and His ultimate purpose for us. He knows that the only place for the fulfillment of the satisfaction of the longing of our hearts and souls is a relationship with Him. Longtime friend Dr. Randall Pinnell, who I've known since the early 1980s, when he was a professor at Houston Baptist University, later went to Regent University, was teaching there as a professor there, and then was an interim president at North Greenville University, has been someone I've always looked to when it comes to looking at certain theological thoughts and processes and asking him questions, and he's always been there for me. And I reached out to him recently to ask him again about what he used to teach us back in the 80s about this specific scripture in Joel chapter 2, verse 11. Here's a portion of an email response to me regarding that specific scripture. He said, It is an emphasis made by several of the prophets besides Joel. Isaiah and Jeremiah both made big points to the people of God that the armies that are attacking them or have attacked or captured God's people are actually instruments of God that His people would repent and turn back to Him. Even Jonah makes something of a sideways emphasis in that direction, he says. He goes on to say, This, in my opinion, is why the use of the name of Yahweh Saboath, or the God of the hosts and armies, is so prolific in the prophets. End quote. It's over our ongoing conversation. We began to look at this, that some commentary say it represented locusts or plagues, or the army of the Assyrians or the Chaldeans, of which the locusts were all emblem and was at the command of the Lord. Regardless of what they were, we can see the Lord as at times has used circumstances, even pestilence, plagues, external tensions of ruling authorities, or even enemies to be used to bring God's people back to focus and to Himself. 
Let's take a look at the last 200 plus years of revivals and outpourings just in the United States. Oftentimes, they come just before, during, or after great national and global upheaval or challenges. Let's take a moment to look at the Cane Ridge Revival of 1801. Daniel Norris, the author of the book Trail of Fire, that was published in August of 2017, says, Consider the work of Cane Ridge for a moment. This was 1801. The United States was barely 25 years old, and Kentucky had just joined the Union less than 10 years earlier. The new nation was quickly growing as more and more people continued to venture west. The days of Jonathan Edwards and the Great Awakening had already begun to fade as the U.S. expanded. Once again, the moral foundations America once knew were slowly eroding. Churches were few and far in this vast land. As people moved farther and farther away from their churches, they began to forsake the Lord. This was the wild frontier where the only rule of law was a gun or a rope. It was a time when wickedness abounded and very few people professed real faith. It was a spiritually dark time for America. Yet in dark times, the light of the gospel shines brightest. The fire that fell in Cane Ridge sparked a movement. Revival spread across the American frontier like wildfire, driving by a stiff wind through the dry bush. In the years following, there was an exponential explosion of church planting. Similar camp meetings were organized in several states. Though none ever matched the attendance of the original meeting at Cane Ridge, the effects were undeniable. America was once again awakened. He goes on to say, I'm certain there are many who would wonder if it's even possible for God to move again in such a powerful way. They have concluded that America is too far gone to experience another great awakening. Canridge shows us otherwise. My friends, he says, revival will always be God's remedy for an ailing land. Revival is the moment that the Lord Almighty invades a community. The slumbering saints are awakened and sinners are reborn. True revival offers total reformation for individuals, communities, and even nations. And he says, yes, America is experiencing a spiritual dark time once again. The founding principles that brought us great freedom and prosperity have been forgotten. America is lost, but don't lose hope. Consider the works of the Lord. In times of great darkness or spiritual drought, these stories remind us that we have been here before. And when we finally turn back to God, He always revives. Look back at the times He has moved across our land. Remember and meditate on the times you've personally experienced the power of His presence. Let those stories fan the embers of your life back to flame. Daniel Norris, author of Trail of Fire, published August 2017. Wow, that word is a word for now. Then let's look at the revival of 1857. Jeremiah Lamphere in New York City was a lay minister and a businessman. We were a nation of maybe 32, 33 million people at the time. There was delinquency, disease, difficulties, impoverishment, national tensions, global tensions taking place. And in that context, he called for a noontime prayer meeting. That first meeting in Fulton Street, the annex of a church, only a handful of people showed up in the first 30 minutes. And an hour later, only another handful. But within six months, 10 thousand people a day were giving up their noontime to pray for revival. Out of 32 or 33 million people in America at the time, 
It is said that over 2 million people came to Christ during that revival. It became known as the Fulton Street Revival or the prayer meeting revivals, and it began to spread. What would happen in a nation of 330, 340 million people if nearly 10% had an awakening and came to Christ? First, the church had an awakening and revival spread across the land. God is still able to do what He's done before. Now, remember earlier I had mentioned that oftentimes revivals or outpourings of the Lord come just before, during, or after great national or global upheaval or challenges. Now, remember the call to prayer that Jeremiah Lamphere called for that became known as the Fulton Street Revivals and the prayer meeting revivals was actually in the context of current tensions of disease and national tensions that ultimately, just a few years later, after the revival, was the Civil War. Then we can look at the spiritual climate and even the national and global climate of the late 1800s going into the early 1900s. For example, in Wales was the Welsh Revivals of 1904, and we see that triggered revivals in several other countries. Then, of course, right here in the United States in 1906, William Seymour and the Azusa Street Revival that literally touched nations of the world. But both of these revivals and other holiness movements around that time were right in the context of the tension of national and global tensions and just before World War I in 1914 to 1918. Then again, during World War II, before, during, and after World War II was outpourings of God's presence in different places, including in 1945 at Baylor University that helped spark other campus revivals. In fact, the late Rei Hoshizaki had become a family friend, and although being an American of Japanese descent, was not put into the interim camps, but was allowed to stay on at Baylor University as a student during World War II. Interestingly, he and other student leaders were credited for sparking this revival that took place in Waco at Baylor University that began to touch other universities. In fact, in 1945, before school began, students there prayed together at a retreat for a spiritual revival on Baylor's campus. Those prayers were answered, and the movement happened across Baylor's campus through several student leaders, including Rei Hoshizaki, who were adamant about sharing Christ Several hundred students were gathered, and they marched from downtown Waco to the campus with a sign that read, Youth for Revival. Soon, the student leaders were getting requests to lead revivals elsewhere, and the movement swept the South in the 1940s and 1950s. After World War II, Rei Hoshizaki was one of the first people sent as a missionary to Japan. Then we look at another movements that came to and through and after World War II, like the Evangelical Awakening of 1947 and the Latter Rain Revival and then the Latter Rain Movement. The Latter Rain Movement had its beginnings in the years following World War II and was contemporary with the Evangelical Awakening led by Billy Graham that began in 1947. And of course, we have the healing revivals of Oral Roberts, Jack Coe, and William Brenham. Later, groups organized large revival events and news quickly swept across Canada and the United States, as well as many other countries. These and other movements of the Holy Spirit were in the backdrop of World War II, that was 1939 to 1945, and then, of course, the Korean War of 1950 to 1953. Again, we see God's scarlet thread of redemption in the midst of tensions. Again, going back to Joel chapter 2, 
that God uses even the tensions and the circumstances we go through to get us to focus back on Him and be brought back to Him that God might do a work in us and through us and to see the outpouring of His presence. Let's go a few years later. We see the Vietnam War and we see national divisiveness and unrest. We see social injustices that need to be dealt with. We see the whole civil rights movement. So many of these things taking place at the same time. So God pours out His Spirit at what some called the charismatic renewal and charismatic movement, and simultaneously what became known as the Jesus movement. This all came out of the tensions of national divisiveness, national unrest, global tensions, and the Vietnam War. In fact, the Jesus movement was an evangelical Christian movement beginning on the West Coast of the United States in the 1960s and early 1970s. And it spread primarily through North America, Europe, and Central America before finally subsiding by the late 1980s. Members of the movement were sometimes called Jesus people or Jesus freaks. I remember that for myself in the early 1980s. People would call me a Jesus freak. In Houston, there were churches like Evangelistic Temple, Church of the Redeemer Episcopal Church, Faith Lutheran Church. There was Methodist churches, Lutheran churches, Independent churches, Independent Assemblies of God churches, Assembly of God. There was a sweep of the Holy Spirit that became known as the Charismatic Renewal or the Charismatic Movement, even the Charismatic Catholic Church of Houston. So again, we see that with the Jesus Movement, the Evangelical Awakening, the charismatic renewal, charismatic movement, it was beyond any denomination. There were simultaneous moves of God that were providential where He put His hand upon a generation and upon a people. I've been in Houston since 1978 and have heard so many stories and met with so many people that were part of the Jesus movement or the charismatic renewal. And so I've pondered those things and I've experienced personal awakenings and revivals and been a part of seeing some of these things, not just in my city, but across our nation and around the world. And it's been great to see these pockets of God doing something providential. But at the same time, I'm longing for God to do something so corporate in His church to bring an awakening to the church and revival. Again, as we look through all these examples, I can give so many more examples, but I think you get the point I'm making. Many of the moves of God in the last 200 plus years, at least in the context of our nation and in some other parts of the world, have come during times of difficulties, challenges. And as we've seen, again, oftentimes they come before, during, or just after the national or global upheavals or challenges. We are in one of those moments again. We need an outpouring, a providential outpouring of God's presence. And although the song Blow a Trumpet in Zion that we quoted earlier in this podcast and the book of Joel chapter 2 is speaking of the voice of God's army being the tensions or the external pressures that bring God's own people back to himself. And that can be our circumstances. External pressures or tensions, be it locally, nationally, internationally, locusts, or even the army of the enemy is the instrument of God to bring his people back to focus into himself. So when the word says in Joel 2.11, the Lord gives voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for strong is the one who executes his word, or the other is to say that those who execute his word. But I'm also encouraged by another army that Psalm 110 verse 2 and 3 speak of. It says that from the womb into the youth, there shall be an army of volunteers for the day of God's power. 
So we're speaking about the day of the Lord, but we're also speaking about the day of God's power. Oh, that we would have an outpouring of God's presence, that we get a renewed sense of desire and hunger and thirst for God's presence, and that we would have an awakening in the church. That means you and me. Before it's, We're the microcosm of the family. The family is a microcosm of the church, and the church is a microcosm of the church across this nation and around the world, and we are the microcosm that influences our communities. We need our communities impacted with the relevant presence and tangible presence of Jesus. And that will only happen when God's people take right posture. I love what it says in Luke chapter 2. We've talked about this before because it's only three chapters in the whole book of Joel, but it's really written for a nation in crisis and our response. And so, yes, we blow a trumpet in Zion, but we're to consecrate a fast, it says in verse 15. Many have been praying, many have been fasting, many have been gathering. Sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders. But here is the key verse in verse 17 of chapter 2. Let the priests who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. That's really an act of intercession because we are now a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. It's not just about the minister or the pastor. We are all called as believers to be the priests of the Lord who know how to intercede before the Lord and to weep in intercession between the porch and the altar. And let us say together, spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach that the nations should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? The only way people are going to see the Lord in our lives is if we let His light shine in such a way that they might see Christ in us. Again, and again, and again, I say Matthew five sixteen: let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and bring glory to your Father in heaven. May we be a people who are believing God with expectation in the Lord, not hope in man, but hope in God, that he would pour out his spirit in a very real and providential and corporate way again. We need a third great awakening. And it doesn't matter what the circumstances look like, pestilence, plagues, national crises, or political unrest. Those are things that will always exist. But the church, when we come together as the corporate body, and filter our lives through the work of the cross and the power of the resurrection. When we come before the Lord, God can do a work in us and together a work through us that we might see an outpouring of God's Spirit, another reawakening, another renewal, a revival of the land, because God is still a God who gives us a scarlet thread of redemption in the midst of the most difficult of times. It can be after the Revolutionary War. It can be before, during, or after World War I, World War II. It could be during the Korean War, Vietnam War. It can be right now in 2021, in the midst of most difficult of global challenges, that God can and will bring us back to a humble posture of knee posture, vertical worship, and to declare a Psalm of David. In Psalm 26, I say, So I will be about your altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all your wondrous works. Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. But as for me, I will walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be merciful to me, O Lord. My foot stands in an even place in the congregation's I will bless the Lord. And as Psalm 67 says, what a great declaration and prayer for us. God, be merciful to us 
and bless us and cause your face to shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth and your salvation among all nations. And finally, I'm reminded of when Aaron, on behalf of Moses, spoke to Pharaoh and said, let my people go that we may feast in the wilderness. The point he's making is that even in the wilderness times, they can feast and celebrate the Lord. And oftentimes in the midst of our circumstances, we allow the circumstances dictate to us who we are, rather than keeping our vision of destination and our hope in the Lord. Our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Regardless of what you're going through, regardless of what things look like, may we always remember that God's a God that keeps His promise. Let us feast in the midst of what we're going through. Praise Him through it. Offer thanksgiving and adoration to the Lord in the midst of whatever we're going through because God is still our Savior. He's still our Liberator. He's still our Deliverer. We are ripe for an outpouring of His presence. We are ripe for a third great awakening. We are ripe for revival in the land. Let us put our hope in the Lord. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm in God's holy mountain. And remember, great is the army that carries out his word, but the Lord shall utter his voice before his army. We hope that today's episode was both challenging and encouraging. And we want to invite you to head over and check out the show notes. There you're going to find key thoughts and key scriptures that were discussed in today's episode. You'll also find a link to pre-order his brand new book, Mending the Net, Bringing Hope to a Hurting World. So be sure to check out our episode notes today at charismapodcastnetwork.com forward slash show forward slash a word in season. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.